Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Frank Fallon, who's Assistant Secretary of State for Energy and Resources for the US government. Frank has a uh, colourful background working in both government and in the mining industry around public policy with a track record of assessing complex policy, legal and regulatory issues around energy and resources. And every listener to the podcast, Frank is going to talk to us about the global energy challenges we are faced and much more. So I'd like to welcome Frank. How are you doing, Frank? Oh, great to be with you, Rob. I uh, appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, to do this podcast with us. Um, as we always start, as we obviously, we always start these podcasts, I wanted to give the audience um, a little background about yourself. Um, obviously, I, as I mentioned, you worked in the mining industry um, and have worked obviously in, in government um, through, through your career. So I just wanted to give the audience an overview of, uh, of your background. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Rob. Uh, yeah, I came to, to Washington about 20 years ago uh, and, and working on energy and resource issues of the, the entirety of my career. And in, in, in government, uh, you know, back when natural gas prices were very high in the United States, this is the early 2000s, um, we were, I was the counsel to uh, the Senate Environment Committee. We were convening a variety of of hearings looking at the, the gas insecurity in the United States, the economic dislocation that was occurring as a result of that. Uh, and I had a hand in, in, in passing, uh, negotiating and passing a key provision concerning hydraulic fracturing. That was a law passed in 2005. Then the shale revolution uh, happened in 2008. Uh, it was, it was in a sort, certainly transformative for the United States and really transformative for, for the world. Um, I left government and worked uh, for Murphy Oil Corporation, a global oil and gas company, uh, and then went from there to BHP Billiton, what it was called. They still had the Billiton when I was there, uh, and and worked there uh, uh, for for about five years before being uh, coming to this job where I was nominated uh, to serve as actually the inaugural uh, Assistant Secretary of State to lead the the Bureau of Energy Resources. It's a fantastic job. Uh, and, uh, and, and and having been on the other side of the earlier energy transformation, which was the hydraulic fracturing innovation, to now be on this side of the energy transformation and being America's uh, energy diplomat uh, to execute it around the world has been a great privilege. Yeah. And obviously, as the time recording of this, which is mid-January, um, what is happening, obviously, with, with your role, your department, um, with obviously the, the the change over the president's presidency. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we are on the on on the cusp of a, an inauguration for uh, for for a new team. Um, you know, I, I guess I worked with when I was in. I mentioned uh, several years in the private sector, and I was doing international energy and resource projects all around the world. And and I worked in collaboration with the prior administration, with the then Obama Biden administration. And, and uh, they, they approached things, and I have to say, they were very constructive and pragmatic and very helpful uh, in projects all around the world. Uh, and, and so I expect the same kind of 
real pragmatism when it comes to energy diplomacy that the former administration exercised, and certainly I upheld, I, I expect there to be a continuity of that kind of pragmatism. Because you know, when, when US companies show up in parts of around the world, uh, it's an extension of our soft diplomacy as, as the United States. Uh, companies represent the values of America and the way in which we show up, the, 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 the technology, the, the, the high EHS standards, uh, and all of the rest of it. So, and, and, and US firms re respect the sovereignty of the countries in which they operate. So that's, that's a differentiator from a lot of other parts of the world and, and the State Department, regardless of political affiliation, I think they, they, they certainly recognize that. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I wondered if you can give us um, an overview of your role as the Assistant Secretary um, and what's the, the function of the, the Department of State of Energy and Resources? Yeah, so um, the, the, firstly, the State Department has been looking at energy diplomacy, we just call it, uh, which is really the, the nexus. It's, it's a non-technical area when, about energy and resource issues. Uh, you know, it, it's really in the context of foreign policy and national security. And the United States has been doing this, the State Department is doing this since time immemorial uh, as an extension of foreign policy, but really in the modern era, since the, the early 1970s in the aftermath of the oil crisis. Uh, then Secretary of State Henry Kissinger actually helped uh, found the International Energy Agency, which was there to promote a degree of energy resilience for OECD countries. Um, so there's been a continuity of effort in energy diplomacy since that time in the modern era. Uh, in, the, in about 2010, this bureau was established uh, and, uh, and it's had uh, successive envoys to lead it. I'm the first to thankfully be confirmed by the United States Senate to serve as Assistant Secretary. Again, we work on that nexus of foreign policy, national security, uh, and, and looking at energy as a proxy for other issues all around the world. Uh, it, it, energy has certainly historically has been something that uh, countries have fought over uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a source of conflict. But here we see energy is also uh, an opportunity for collaboration and create, can create a halo effect in, in other dimensions in, in the political and the security dimensions and, and creates uh, relationships with countries. So that's the lens through which we look at it. Energy, of course, is also more than just energy. It's, 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 it powers economies. It, it provides the, the, the engine of economic development to countries. Um, and so that's part and parcel of, of the work that we do as well. I lead a variety of whole of government initiatives, um, you know, in the Indo-Pacific, for example, uh, on energy and resources in the Americas. So Indo-Pacific Asia Edge is the name of the program. Um, America Crece in the Americas. Uh, I lead a variety of these kind of whole of government initiatives where we bring in the totality of other uh, departments and agencies to support the initiative. And what we do is we work with a country to understand what is their, what is their development and energy ambition, and then where are the gaps, why they've been unable to achieve it, and then we work with them to, 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 to do so. Of course, we're also doing this in the era of great power competition, the, the era of energy transformation. Um, these are kind of external events that are really affecting partner selection and, and deal terms for a lot of countries. And we have a, we have a meaningful role in, to play there. Yeah. And how have you enjoyed uh, the role and the challenges that you've faced? Um, obviously, you mentioned like you work for, for a, couple, a global company like BHP, and then, then you've move, obviously moved into to this role. How, how different is it and what challenges have you faced 
um, that you've had to get your teeth into and um, and um, overcome? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess you know I came to the to the department with with a with some understanding. Again, having worked in the private sector, uh, in working with the department on, on projects all around the world. Um, so I thought I had a good understanding of what what it is that uh, we would do. I, I probably, in reality, had about a, only a, a visibility of about a quarter of the mission set. There's so much more when it comes to the issues of you know we work closely with. Again, we're a national security uh, function, so you know the intelligence issues, all all of the all of the the attendant issues, how energy uh, is used as a, a means to again, spur positive things or is, is a means uh, to, uh, to fund terrorism, to fund proxy wars all around the world. Um, and so I had a, a mission set, that I, a hypothesis that's cut in key areas that I wanted to focus on. But then, you know, the president, the administration decides that, that we are going to uh, uh, get out of the, the Iran nuclear agreement and reimpose energy sanctions. Um, bipartisan large bipartisan, continual bipartisan uh, majorities in Congress have said that Russia's malign behavior and their treatment of Ukraine among them is, is, is wrong. And they're imposing energy sanctions there. Issues in Venezuela. You know, and, this, and so all of these energy sanctions issues is also uh, came into my remit. Again, I wasn't planning on that, but that's the mission set. And, uh, and I think we've been particularly successful in these. Um, but that, you know, learning, learning how to do that managing relationships with other countries, um, especially when there's a there's kind of a wink and a nod on things. And sometimes I say, no, we we come in and we say what we do and do what we say. Uh, one of the one of the kind of frustrations uh, or challenges is, is just working with some other countries and the distinction between political speech, political rhetoric uh, versus outcomes. Uh, you know, there are countries in the world who celebrate their new climate change target, for example, but their environmental outcomes and practice are absolutely <laughs> disastrous. Uh, and, and we're focused, uh, you know, this administration uh, withdrew famously from the Paris uh, Climate Accord, but, our, but the United States environmental outcomes in terms of greenhouse gas emission reductions is, is among world leaders. So uh, there's this disconnect and, and uh, that's that's been a bit of a, a, a bit of a challenge in, in helping other people to recognize the, the positive uh, moves. Um, but a lot of things have, have been just amazing. The, some of the things we've accomplished, and I mentioned how some of this net energy can be a force uh, of cooperation. Some of the events that are taking place in the Eastern Mediterranean, new gas discoveries where countries are are creating new markets, uh, the opening up of the Balkans to new energy trading based relationships, you know, a region that historically hasn't liked each other very much um, is, is now having, we've got uh, new energy trading relationships, potential new mining investments that are occurring. Um, it's, it's really quite positive. And then in the Indo-Pacific, the fastest growing region in the world, 60% of all energy demand growth will be in that region um, the next 20, 30 years. Uh, we have some some meaningful programs and some new, very very strong partnerships with a variety of countries there. So it's it's been um, it's been the greatest uh, professional experience of my life. It's something I'll uh, I'll always treasure, and I look forward to helping uh, the next team as best as I can as as they as they take on this important uh, function. Yeah, I mean, it, from you just describing um, your your role. And what you've been involved in, there seems obviously multiple stakeholders 
multiple things that you're you're trying to juggle some a lot of things may be outside of your control but then obviously there is some things that you can control so it must be and excuse the pun minefield but it seems it seems there's so many moving parts and I suppose you have to be a, a, try and be as on top of as you can on a lot of the issues that you're that you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why we have to have a team, uh, because it, it, it is just absolutely too, too much. Uh, there's there is there are blind spots within blind spots. Uh, and, and, but we have an amazing, amazing team of people within the Bureau and also bringing on the, the resources of the interagency working closely with our ambassadors in countries all around the world. Uh, and, and, you know, they also have relationships with, with ministers, sometimes heads of state all around the world through this, through, through the relationships. And, and, and we, we can speak directly and candidly with one another to find out what's really going on. Um, but it this is a team effort. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I just have to give, uh, acknowledge, uh, continue to acknowledge uh, the strong uh, people that work in the department of state uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, um, you know, we, we, we treasure our, our armed source, our, our armed forces personnel, uh, but diplomats uh, are right on the front lines too, and uh, serve, serve uh, just as important, if not more important role uh, in many, in many instances. So uh, that's, that's how we're able to identify what the issues are to balance all these competing, uh, competing, uh, uh, these competing issues and, and get to a favorable outcome in the longer term. Uh, and it, it's, it's been, it's been remarkable and it's, it's, um, you know, the state department is, is, is also, uh, it, it's a huge organization. Yeah. Uh, so, so one of the things that I, I did when I came in was apply some of the kind of the project management, the team, uh, focus, uh, uh which was a new way of, of thinking in a lot of regards. Uh, that's also something I, I, I'm, the, the team has had bought into and frankly made their own and made, made it even better. So. Um, I, 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 you know, the degree of resiliency within, within uh, the department really uh, exceeded my expectations. Yeah. And how big is the, the department, roughly speaking? Oh, the department, my goodness, I, I don't know how big the Department of State is. Uh, it's tens of thousands of people. Oh, okay. uh, uh, but, uh, you know, my bureau is, is roughly 100. Okay. It's, we are lean and mean. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I, I but but I think, you know, success begets uh, success and I anticipate it'll continue to, to, to grow. Uh, it was a big step to that we're, we've institutionalized this concept. And I think the issue of energy diplomacy, given all of these transformative actions that are occurring all around the world, this is something that's here to stay. Yeah. Uh, we look at, you know, at energy, again, as a proxy for other issues and within the suite of great power competition, who's going in Dan Jurgen's uh, vernacular to talk who to control the commanding heights of the economy the these are up for grabs right now mm. and this this bureau and this department of state is on the front lines yeah so how do you see the sort of global energy transitions unfolding and what does this mean for the uh the mining sector yeah i think um we've you know, pre-COVID, you know, we, we have a new kind of demarcation of, of time, you know, uh, pre-COVID and after COVID. But pre-COVID, we saw a considerable amount of, uh, uh, of investment going into clean energy technologies. And I, I use that as a blanket term, renewables, electric vehicles, battery storage, et cetera. Um, we've seen an increase in, in investment in that. We've also saw, started to see a decline in investment in oil and gas. 
particularly oil, um, and certainly coal, uh, really is kind of not 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 really on the field in, in a large measure. Um, and I mean thermal coal. Um, you know, but 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 post COVID, th those trends accelerated. And, and of course we had a once in a hundred year demand destruction event in COVID in the oil and gas sector. Um, oil and gas sector globally investments is down some 30%, that's IEA's number. Uh, whereas by contrast, renewables year on year have increased some 6%. So uh, the, the trend in terms of energy transformation and energy transition call for cleaner forms of energy, that was at play anyway. Um, and I, my view is uh, it's a bottoms up call. It's not uh, necessarily about uh, any state capital or the EU wagging their finger and saying thou shalt. It's because people uh, are growing. The demographic shift is at scale. And when people enter the middle class, they want cleaner environments and that calls for cleaner forms of energy. So what, what this what this really means is the, the of course, in your, 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 you and your uh, listeners know, that, that, that cleaner forms of energy are minerals intensive. It requires significantly more minerals to go into an electric vehicle than it does an internal combustion engine. So what we're really doing is just shifting the issue from one kind of energy density to another kind of energy density um, and, and, and changing that dynamic. The World Bank started looking at this in 2017 and concluded that uh, the minerals going to, to achieve clean energy targets, climate change targets, we'd have to, uh, what are the mineral demand for that? Minerals will have to increase some 500 or 1,000% in demand. It's an exponential demand increase. Uh, some of these are you know, bespoke minerals like lithium uh, or specific, uh, cobalt, of course. Uh, others are cross-cutting like copper. Um, they concluded that in the last 5,000 years, humans have mined 550 million tons of, of copper. We're going to have to mine that much again in the next 25 years. Yeah. So, the scale of what we're talking about is, is, is tremendous. It's going to open up new mining frontiers. Uh, it's going to increase the, uh, the, the importance of existing uh, basins. And, um, it, and, and we have to be mindful about how this is going to take place. You know, is this going to be, is mining here going to uh, catalyze economic development, include communities? Uh, is it going to be done in a way that aligns with kind of our, 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 our Western values of environmental safeguards, or is it going to be done based on an exploitive model that despoils the environment, that does not include local people, uh, and, and that's, that's, that's simply an exploitation debt diplomacy kind of system. This is, this is critical, and, uh, and, it, and it matters because uh, as you go through consideration of this, you know, the clean energy industry is, is tends to be mission driven, meaning they're not just there to just make a profit. They want to, you know, make the world a better place. Um, that, that, therefore, they're, they're elevating their environment, social governance, ESG related reputations. They're leaning in, as it were, into those concepts. Well, if, if, if the, their supply chain is exposed to, to not meet those, those, the, those objectives, then, then they're at risk. They're at reputational and other risks. And from a business side, I'm looking at it for, from the point of view also as um, we have existing choke points in the supply chain such that, you know, if 80% if, if of our mineral processing is coming from one place, if 70% of our cobalt is coming from one place, if, you know, these represent in, in, choke points. I mentioned the International Energy Agency before. 
Well, what is that? That's an organization that formed because the market concentration of incumbent oil producers to the world uh, was deemed to be risky by the West, uh, by the OECD. So we created a, a buffer against that to create an alternative. Okay, well, in the context of minerals for clean energy technology, if we, if we believe the projections, um, then the existing choke points uh, uh, will, will create such price volatility that, it, it, that, that, that the clean energy companies probably can't rely on that supply chain. And, uh, and, and certainly not the countries who are proposing these policies can't rely on the supply chain. So this creates a whole new dimension and mining is at the key uh, of, of how is, whether and how the clean energy transition will take place in the next 20 to 30 years. Yeah, um, just going over what you just said, you mentioned um, some countries have obviously a, a lot of concentration of minerals, i.e. like cobalt in the DRC. How's your relationship with, say, China, who seems to be obviously have a lot of minerals and metals within their country and seem to be keeping it in house? Um, how I mean, how is your um, diplomatic relationships with with China and I suppose with a focus on the minerals and metals and energy? Yeah, well, we haven't uh, spoken directly to the Chinese about this uh, this issue. What we really did is, uh, it, it, but but the recognition of of their control of some of this is, is something we study quite a bit. Um, and I mentioned the 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 the, the kind of the the, the model that uh, uh, of of debt diplomacy. I mean that that is China is who's doing that. Um, uh, you know, they're investing and based on oftentimes not because of looking to a business outcome, but because they're controlling for you know, strategic purposes. Um, you know, they, they want to do so. Their, their, their investments in clean energy is, are significant and they're deploying state capital to do so. Um, and they're going from the mine. If they can't acquire a mine, then they'll take a 100% offtake agreement. You know, so it's, what's the difference? Um, but they're doing it for a geostrategic purpose, not, not because they're interested in environmental outcomes. Uh, if they were interested in environmental outcomes, the environment would look different um, given the scale of their investment. In fact, the, uh, China's greenhouse gas emissions from their domestic, domestically coupled with their, um, their coal, thermal coal and Belt and Road countries represents nearly 50% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So. Uh, we have to be honest about, I mentioned earlier, the kind of political rhetoric versus outcomes. Uh, we're very outcomes focused. And, um, and so this is, this is a, a big concern. What we have done is we've, we've talked to and cooperate and talked to other countries who, who don't want to see a debt diplomacy model, who want to develop their industries um, so that they can, uh, can, can create an inclusive energy transition, meaning that their people get something of value. They, they benefit economically, job training, et cetera. These countries are, are desperate, especially in the COVID era for some, some investment. And, and that, that investment should be done based on ideas to promote human rights, to safeguard the environment, as I mentioned. So, so that's what we're doing. We're talking to, to countries that have those kind of principles in mind, who wanna see Western and especially US investment, um, and I, I can say there's more of those countries than, than, than there are otherwise. Yeah. And how do you think the, the COVID crisis has impacted the global energy and extractive 
sector. Yeah, well, in, in the in the oil and gas space, I mean, it's 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 absolutely uh, pretty. It's it's been it's been very challenging. Uh, you know, I, I expect uh, the, the economies, the global, the globe will recover. Uh, and and we saw recently the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia recently just took you know cut cut the cuts cut some production and it's had an upward pressure on price. Um, the the economies are going to start uh, coming back on online and in, in the relatively near term. We're also uh, uh, grateful that we're moving forward with vaccinations. Uh, so the, the, this is happening. So I anticipate that it'll it'll recover. Um, I think that the the in the mining space and the creation of this responsible supply chain that I referenced, building a supply chain that frankly we all deserve uh, to meet the challenges, uh, to meet the opportunities of clean energy deployment at scale around the world. Um, I think that is still has yet to be done. Uh, we're all we're we're now setting the, the the tables for that. There seems to be a bit of a lag, as as there always is in the mining industry, um, where where. And, and the investments will follow. I think I think it's very very uh, bright uh, coming out of this. I mean, uh, you know, talking to investors all around the world, uh, capital has been flowing into the energy space and the infrastructure space in big in big ways, especially private capital, yeah. as well as private credit. Uh, so right now, you know, this is this is a buyer's market, and and I expect uh, uh, things will will rationalize. Very quickly, we're going to have more efficient product producers as a result, and the global economy uh, is going to come rearing back. And uh, those who are investing now, uh, I think, are going to yield significant returns going forward. Yes, certainly. And there is obviously a, an undersupply of many metals and minerals for what we're looking for in the future in terms of electric vehicles, um, cleaner energy, um, and there is a certainly a, a lot less minerals in the well. They are obviously in the ground, but they're not they're not coming to uh, to um, to the the surface. And I think there is a huge uh, there is going to be a huge investment. And like you said, it's slowly coming into the industry. And I think that will continue for the foreseeable future because there is there has been an undersupply of investment throughout the the last decade or so. Um, so. Where where do you see more investment going into into what particular com maybe commodity metal um, do you see from your from your perspective? Yeah, I see a lot a lot of enthusiasm around lithium yeah. um, of, of, of of both types. Uh, lithium uh, significant uh, discussions in terms of cobalt, uh, both in terms of technologies to avoid it as well as to find new sources and new new uh, processing uh, means. Uh, you know, graphite comes up every once in a while. Uh, uh, and nickel is something I think a lot of people are chasing. And then there's the perennial copper uh, that, that everyone continues to be enthusiastic about and has had some price recovery recently. Uh, so I think those are some of the, the, the key ones. And the last uh, area which, which is key to, to uh, renewable technologies, and especially these new GE has, has innovated this, the, some of the, the world's largest wind turbines. Um, one of the very important to that is rare earth elements, uh, and and both uh, both in the heavy side as well as in the light. There's there's a lot of activity around that. Uh, I think that also is again it's niche and, and it's not going to be the the majors aren't going to be there, uh, 
but it, it's, it's huge value accretion. And, and I think that, again, what we need to do, what the world is, where the world in the West in particular is going to focus on is supplying the premium and creating a degree of transparency, how these things are, how they're not just mined, but how they're processed. Uh, and once that premium is applied and the recognition is applied, then, uh, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to create, it's going to internalize these costs that are otherwise not being internalized. And, you know, the rare earth elements point uh, is really important. I mentioned before the market concentration issue. I mean, rare earth elements is, 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 is part and parcel to that. I mean, it's, it's, it's the test case. And it's the test case because we saw what happened in 2010 uh, when China uh, when China banned export and prices, I think, went up 350% relatively overnight. Uh, people know that story, but rarely do people know why they did that, why they banned, uh, banned it. Well, they banned it because of a fisheries dispute with Japan. Uh, Chinese fishing trawlers went into Japanese waters. And as a result, it was the ban on rare earth elements. And recently, uh, with I think it was last year, uh, Xi Jinping famously visited a rare earth elements processing facility in China as, as a signal, uh, allegedly according to media reports, uh, uh, to, to, to the world. Uh, you know, so this, this isn't, uh, this issue of, of, of minerals investment and controlling commanding heights of the new economy is not figurative. It, it, it's actual and it's happened before. And, and, and we see the things lining up. So what we're, what we're talking about here is the development of an alternative responsible supply chain. Uh, if, if, if countries inclusive of China were to adopt these same principles, then I don't think there would be an issue. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's, have a, let's have a transparent, open, free market where, uh, where we all have a level playing field. That's, that would be, the world would be better off for it. China would be better off for it. And we'd all have clarity of, and, and confidence that we'll be able to get the minerals and process in the appropriate way to achieve the clean energy transition. That's what, that's the, that's the goal. Yeah, certainly. Um, can you tell us about the uh, energy resource governance initiative that you, that you're involved in? Yeah, thanks Rob. Uh, so we, we, you know, I, we kind of approached this when I came on board, started looking into, well, where are these minerals that seen this, 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 this projected growth? Where are the minerals? How are they being developed? Um, and what we realized is there are a variety of countries that are, are, are that's considerable resources, um, resource wealthy perhaps, but, but they lack capacity to manage them uh, appropriately. Not because of a lack of a, a, a interest, but just capacity. It takes a lot to create a geologic survey. You know, how do you do that? How do you create a regulatory? So um, what we did, we're very proud in the United States of the, the, the long history of, of responsible minerals development. But we also know we're not the only ones. Um, and so what we did is we, we partnered with other leading extractive countries, Canada, Australia, Botswana, and Peru. Five countries spanning four continents, very diverse histories, diverse regulatory environments, um, but all a positive record of mineral development. And what we did is we came together with the idea well, that we should be able to identify the diversity notwithstanding, there are truisms on, on how we've been successful over the long term. What are those? Um, and then we put together a toolkit, uh, which is open source. Uh, you can go to it, ergi.tools. 
Uh, and in the toolkit is there to help countries that some of these new frontiers for mining or, or those who want to level up their standards. So I understand what is, how to, how to have this toolkit, what, what do they need to do to do, you know, geologic survey, procurement, stewardship over mine life from, from exploration to closure, how to, how to manage this in a responsible way. And we're very pleased that this initiative is, is up and running and, and going. We I recently, a couple months, or last month convened 20 countries to talk about these issues. I launched this at PDAC in March in Toronto. Um, so it's really has some real tailwinds. So we have the toolkit. Secondly, but of course, information without execution isn't, isn't terribly valuable. So <clears throat> we've also backed up that with going into countries, providing uh, funding to help them to implement the toolkit. In the last year, we've spent $10.5 million doing just that in countries around the world. And then thirdly, uh, under this administration, by, uh, bipartisan uh, initiative by Congress, created the International Development Finance Corporation, the DFC, $60 billion uh, investment arm to uh, help catalyze private sector investment and development. The DFC has integrated uh, the Energy Resource Governance Initiative's principles from the toolkit into, uh, the, into the DFC's lending criteria, such that it's a preference. So, so what we've done is we've got this multi-country coalition, best practice, toolkit, money to execute the toolkit, and then uh, a financing to catalyze private sector investment pursuant to the toolkit. Again, what we're seek seeking to do is level up standards so that we have a degree of confidence in that and um, couldn't have better partners in the ones we have. Yeah, and hopefully this initiative will carry on uh, over, obviously over time, obviously after you've built this framework. Um, so yeah, be, be interested to see how, how it is carried on and, and developed. Yeah, I, you know, the fact that it's a multi-country initiative, it's been, this concept's been embraced now by, I mean, I've been speaking about this, uh, I've spoken all over the world about this concept. I've spoken at Chatham House. I've spoken at the Vatican. Uh, I've spoken at um, uh, everywhere, mentioned PDEC. Um, but the fact is multi-country, we all have a shared set of, of values that we're trying to promote. Um, and the incoming administration has very ambitious climate change targets, according to media reports, very ambitious. And to, in, to achieve those objectives, you have to reconcile these issues. And what we're seeking to do, what we're doing is providing um, a, 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 some, some support for countries that want to do the right thing, that want to, that are reform-minded and want to adopt best practice. That should be promoted. I have every confidence that we'll see a continuity of that. Tone may change a little bit, but again, I, let's focus not, I focus a lot more on the outcomes and, and actions rather than just, uh, just the rhetoric around it. So I, I'm confident that will continue. Yeah. Um, I understand the US has been working with Greenland uh, to further develop their extractive industries. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that partnership? Yes, uh, you know the the of course Greenland of course is a part of the Kingdom of Denmark, um, and Greenland has uh, uh, has has manages their their domestic resources, of which uh, minerals are are a part of that. Um, they've been seeking to develop their resources for some time, uh, but again, it's been it's been hit or miss, and there's a real capacity limitation. In the country, it's enormous. It's enormous country, um, but it has you know a very very modest population. So how do you how do you develop this? And so we've been working with Greenland. Um, they have an ambition uh, to to develop their economies and in particular the mineral sector. 
but how to do it. So, so last year I was, I was in, um, I was in Greenland and, and we, we signed uh, two separate MOUs with the government, uh, with the mineral resources ministries, energy ministries, um, to provide frameworks for U.S. cooperation on, on how we can support them. And I guess the scope of, of, of all of this falls within three areas. First, to help Greenland to understand what they've got. Uh, what are the resources? Second, to support the resource development management as I, as you know, how to, how to manage it. And then thirdly, help them to develop domestic capability to do so in the future. And so, um, you know, Greenland uh, perhaps has one of the greatest minerals endowments on the planet, uh, under, completely underexplored. To help them understand what we've done, we, we've partnered with the, with the ministry uh, to conduct uh, Greenland's first ever high resolution, hyperspectral airborne mineral resource survey. Um, the data will be used by the ministry to build its database for remote investment in Greenland. Um, beginning this year, we're providing expert advisory support from technical staff and just to, 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 to the government um, at the ministry to support its priorities uh, to understand their resources. Uh, we're sharing this U.S. experience and international leading best practice to help Greenland uh, on that. Um, you know, they want to ensure that they want to do everything safely. As, as most countries do, they're, they're very serious about their environment and, 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 and their commitment to it. And so um, we, we're working with them to ensure that they, that they have the, the standards uh, and they adopt them. Uh, these are wonderful compliment to ERGI, the Energy Resource Government Governance Initiative. We've also partnered with them um, with, their, with their school, the Geologic School, and partnered with two U.S. Uh, U.S. Uh, universities uh, to help some training and create their own domestic learning so that they'll have a pipeline of Greenlanders who can go into that minerals industry. So we're really pleased with the progress, uh, but we're really at the, uh, we're not at the beginning. We're really at that, that stage where things are starting to kick off. The hyperspectral survey data is coming in uh, and, uh, and we look forward to helping Greenland perform a roadshow and, and, and get some responsible investors there. Yeah. And what kind of metals and minerals are in abundance across across the country? Yeah, well, they're, 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 they've got a lot. Um, rare earths, of course, uh, a considerable amount of, of heavies as well, which uh, has a bit of a higher premium. Um, they've, they've got some nickel prospectivity, uh, some, some copper, uh, iron. Uh, they, they are really, really remarkably abundant. Um, the challenge, of course, is, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, you have to bring everything there. There's, there's, there is nothing there. Uh, uh, well, everything has to be imported. So there's, there's a cost. Of course, the winters uh, are pretty, are pretty brutal. So your, your, your operations, it's a, it's a, it's a challenging environment, but uh, the government there, the people, uh, they, they're open to it. They want it. They embrace it. Uh, and so I, I think that we've laid a strong foundation for serious cooperation and, and to really get that investment in there. Again, I, it's, it, what's, what we really need is, you know, what we've, what we've done is create this, this foundation for responsible sourcing and responsible minerals development. What, what we're, the next stage is really to catalyze the responsible demand. We need some of these off-takers to say, based on their mission, that they will source from responsible sources. And, and by, by doing that, we're gonna, we're gonna be able to catalyze economic development and opportunities uh, with a degree of confidence that the world deserves 
from places like Greenland and, and other places uh, around the world. Yeah. And as a conclusion, how do you see the sort of mining and energy, um, basically mining energy, how do you see this moving forward over the next next few decades? Yeah, I think I think uh, it's uh, I think there's going to be things are going to go absolutely gangbusters here. Um, there's going to be uh, we're, we're still in a bit of a lull uh, and and all of a sudden people are going to, and you're starting to see little, little, little uh, spots of this uh, where, where companies say, oh my gosh, we need to get, where are we gonna get this stuff from? Uh, you know, I think, I think Elon Musk recently, uh, maybe a few months ago on a public uh, call, uh, talked about nickel and how if, if, uh, if someone has some responsibly sourced nickel, he'll sign up for a long-term contract. This is important, what happened? Well, you had uh, in, in the Arctic, uh, the nickel producers in Russia dumping, dumping thousands of barrels of diesel in fragile environments and the indigenous populations weren't happy about that. You have uh, Indonesia decides that they are going to ex ban export because they want, you know, understandably so, create a domestic value chain and do, all, do everything in Indonesia. This, this, back to my point about choke points, identified choke points, ESG related pressures and the need to create this alternative uh, source of supply, just even for not put the ESG issues aside, but because if you got, if you're, if you're there to make a, a, an electric vehicle and you don't have a, you can't project what your input costs are, or you don't have the greatest degree of confidence that you can get those assets, those resources to make your electric car, then that's not a very good business proposition. So the, the, so I think there's a increasing recognition about this and uh, there's going to be uh, a charge uh, uh, to, to come out and, and invest in the, in the industry. Um, there's a latency effect. Uh, and like I said, I think, I think the future though is, is very, very bright for those who adopt best practice standards uh, that our countries uh, certainly uh, as a mainstay. Again, US companies, uh, they don't change, they don't lower their standards because of where they're working. Uh, what we need to do is make sure all standards have a responsible level and, and then we'll have great confidence. But I think the future, uh, as the levels, you know, in, in the international diplomacy talk about levels of ambition uh, and as the levels of ambition for uh, climate change and, and zero emission energy increase, that has an exponential correlation between the demand for minerals. Uh, re recycling, we didn't talk about that. Recycling, though, is going to play a part, but the scale of what we're talking about, the math just doesn't add up. So mining is going to uh, is going to I anticipate going to go through another boom cycle. Yeah, and I hope so too as well. <laughs> Frank, really appreciate your time um, taking the time to do this podcast and uh, telling us um, about what you're what you're doing and what the U.S. government are doing. Um, if our, any of our audience wants to sort of reach out and has any questions, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, Rob. Uh, well, I think uh, first I would encourage uh, your, your listeners, your viewers to go to ergi.tools. Yep. Um, and, and that will explain the toolkit. And, and, you know, this is a government to government resource. Uh, uh, 
I'm, I, I have a, a Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can look me up uh, that way uh, and I'd be happy to communicate and, and share, especially LinkedIn. I tend to be a bit more active on that. Uh, but uh, but uh, and really encourage folks to, to, to reach out and, and, and it's been a delight, Rob. I, I, I've, I've told you before, I, I found your I uh, found your podcast uh, and I've, I've enjoyed listening to it. And, and so thanks for allowing me to spend some time with you. Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate um, you giving our audience uh, an insight to what the government is doing and what you're doing in the background, because I suppose you're not necessarily out there telling everyone, although you do go and speak to various people. But I suppose generally the people that listen to this podcast could be people in the out in the field working in the actual mines and not they don't probably don't get to hear some of the things that the government are doing in the background so i really appreciate appreciate that and providing um providing all this information um to uh to our audience oh I, look i'm delighted the, the people in the field are the people that, that that's making it all happen yeah yeah uh, you know uh, and and without without them none of this none of this uh we can't realize any of these these targets so they're the ones who uh, again i'm delighted to my voice can can speak to the, anybody uh, especially those folks uh and 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 because they know how to do it and they know how to do it right yeah certainly well i hope, hope the initiative goes uh, carries on with all your good work um and the the people that listen to this podcast appreciate um appreciate you if you can um share this episode with friends family colleagues that you know in the industry um and if also if you're watching this on the the youtube channel appreciate if you can share and like this episode as well uh, amongst the, the mining community so really appreciate your time frank thank you very much um, and until next time happy mining thank you for listening remember to reach out to rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review until next time happy mining helping each other to improve the mining industry.